I've confronted hundreds of men over two decades. I have been in television for 24 years. I just came to get something to eat. And I have very seldom been at a loss for words. I just came to get something to eat. Men online looking for children to sexually assault. What's the motive here? It's, Explain it to me. I don't no, know you're right. No, you're right. It's stupid. It's, it's not. It's an no. illegal thing. Yeah, I know. I did a stupid thing. Men from all walks of life. A doctor. A teacher. A clergyman. You sent pornographic pictures through the mail. Okay, that's a federal offense right there. You know I'm in trouble, and I know I'm in trouble. I tried to get into their heads and understand why. Who do we have tonight? Uh, I, I want to know who you are. I want to know a little bit more about you first. Can I eat first? Sure, go ahead. Let's see if any of this sounds familiar while you enjoy your pizza. And ultimately, make sure they face justice. You ask her if she's a virgin. I ask everybody all kinds of stuff. It's just talk. You ask her if she's horny. What's wrong with that? You ask if she does anal. It's a question. Question. Who are they? Have they tried to prey on other children? And where are they now? These are the predators I've caught. I'm Chris Hansen. Rakuten helps me be a smarter shopper and save money on just about everything. They have all things you need to buy, whether it's home essentials or a self-care treat just for you. With Rakuten, I get cash back on clothes, groceries, travel, and much, much more. Even better, you can stack cash back on top of other deals, like store sales and credit card points. In case you're wondering, the stores on Rakuten are the ones you know and love, and lots of cool ones waiting to be discovered. When it comes to savvy shopping and saving money, Rakuten is a no-brainer. It's free and easy to join. Just go to Rakuten.com now or download the Rakuten app today. That's Rakuten, R-A-K-U-T-E-N. One of the most frequent questions I'm asked about all the predator investigations is, was there a time when you really thought you were in danger? And the answer to that question is yes, a few times when I got away from the barrier and came face to face with one of these guys who tensed up and I thought, well, maybe I might take a shot here, might have to dodge a punch. But when I really look back at it, and maybe I suppressed this a little bit because I didn't want to deal with the potential reality, without question, the time we were in the most danger or could have been, I guess, was during the Flagler Beach, Florida investigation in December 2006, when we almost came face to face with a predator named Todd Spikes. So Flagler Beach, Florida is a really, really neat Florida town. As you can imagine by the name, it is on the beach, the Atlantic Ocean on the East Coast. And it's really cool. It's one of the last little beachy towns, or at least was back when we were there in Florida. It's not too far from Daytona Beach and, and within, you know, probably an hour of Jacksonville. When we got to Flagler Beach, we met with the police detectives involved, the chief in the investigation. We looked at the house. It was a cool beach house, modest size, uh, right across the street from the beach, actually. And one of the reasons we ended up in Flagler Beach was that a detective, an officer by the name of Kevin Pineda, 
noticed one day that along those beautiful beaches, there were young women hanging out, sunning themselves, enjoying the natural beach beauty surrounding them. And he noticed that there were older men maybe ogling these girls in bikinis. Now, you know, girl watchers will watch girls. Could be harmless. It's part of the scenery, I suppose, some people would argue. But it got this officer thinking. Given the explosion of the internet, how many people would be trying to ogle or worse, have a sexual liaison with a young teen girl? So he took it upon himself to go online. And he created a profile of an underage girl. And he was shocked because over the course of a few days, he literally had hundreds of men willing to hook up with this young girl he created in the profile. And so he got into contact with Perverted Justice, the online watchdog group with which we worked, and Perverted Justice got in touch with us at Dateline at the time, and we decided this would be a good location for an investigation, and in fact, it was. The decoys chatted up dozens and dozens of men over the period of several weeks, more than a month. And as we always did, this being our 10th investigation in the series, we had plenty of men willing to show up at our home to have sex with a 12, 13, 14-year-old girl. But during the course of this investigation, we not only had a couple guys show up at the same time, which was a first. We had a real estate executive who had a cockamamie story caught him in a bald-faced lie in the transcripts. We saw a shuttle blast off. We saw a lot of things in this small town. In fact, on one of the days, because it was December, we actually had to delay the start of our investigation, partly because the police had to work the Christmas parade in Flagler Beach. So along the way, the decoys start chatting with a 41-year-old man named Todd Spikes. And his screen name pretty much indicates what his intentions are. The screen name is Loves to Eat Your Peach. And when I get into the transcript shortly, you'll see that he's referring to oral sex. Spikes is a country guy, lives in northern Florida, right at the Alabama border. And he gets right down to business with a girl he thinks is named Lindsay who he believes is 13 years old. The conversation goes on and on and on. He not only wants to have sex with the girl, he talks about it in graphic detail, oral sex, anal sex. He wants to meet the girl's mother, who the decoy has said she lives with, just the two of them. And he proposes that he can be the mother's boyfriend, but actually also have sex with the girl on the side. And then he takes it a step further. He actually wants to watch the girl perform sex on other men. And he gets into detail about how he would take her to the mall and they'd pick up a guy and bring him home and he'd watch this and perhaps even videotape it. Listen to the graphic chat here. Todd Spikes, aka loves to eat your peach, 
carries on a conversation with the perverted justice decoy Lindsay was here for just about a month. He takes pictures of his penis, says, make you feel good. Lindsay says, really? Wow. Now come here, LOL. She says, that's so big. And let me show you how good would have to meet for real for that, he says, teeing up a potential meeting for sex. And then she indicates she's never really done much with a boy, much less a 41-year-old man. He says, if you wanted to feel me inside you, that is, I can teach you. Then he says, I eat blank and ass. Make you crawl the wall. Make you come like crazy. It will give you a chill, make you wet as hell. And this is the talk that goes on and on and on. He says he'd get a hotel room for the group. He wants to bring in two more people. He then goes on to say, you're going to look so hot sucking my big cock. I'll teach you the right way. We'll have to keep this a secret, you know. Don't want to go to jail. Oh, my God, I don't want to get into trouble either, says Lindsay. Okay, then, it's got to be our secret. Okay, I promise. Do you promise? Spike says, I promise. I really want to fuck you. If you want me to, Lindsay says, I think it would be very cool. Me too, baby, says Spike's erotic as hell. Yeah, it would be perfect. And you're going to get a man's cock, not a boy's. He then goes on to introduce the idea of making a, an amateur porn flick. We can take pics of us if you want, he says. You ever tape yourself before? Asks the decoy. Spike says, if you wanted to make a porno of us, we could do that. If we were closer, we could fuck all the time. I want to do it in front of a mirror so you can watch. I had a woman I used to meet from on here, meaning the internet, the chat rooms. At the time, we used AOL and Yahoo. We did a lot of stuff. The decoy says, like what? Hotel room meets. She asks, jacuzzis? Yep. Spike says, I shared her a few times also. Hmm, says the decoy. Shared her with a hung black guy. He seems to be infatuated with the idea of sharing Lindsay with another man. He says it was hot as hell. Then he goes on to say, I promise you will love it. And it's our secret. She asks, how do you find peeps to do that, though? And how would we know they're safe? He says, just ask them in person, is all. Like it's no big deal. He talks about how he'd set up this extra sex partner. I'd like to get a room close to a mall. Could find someone easy there. Oh, so you mean you would meet them in real life instead of on the computer, says Lindsay? It's as easy as that, he says. You mean guys will just say okay? Of course. As pretty as you are, and with that bubble butt, obviously the decoy working for perverted justice has sent some pictures to him of a young woman that the decoy claims to be. Then he says, want to watch me stroke my cock for you? Then he masturbates. All of this, by the way, just being online, doing this, saying this, to someone who is underage is a felony in the state of Florida and across the country. And you're going to find out in just a second why we are very sure 
Todd Spikes would be very well aware of that. Spikes asks about Lindsay's mom, says she's probably hot like you. Lindsay, LOL, it would be weird referring to a group sex event between mother and daughter. Then he says, weird till I got in ya. Goes on to say, oh my God, we'd be fucking all the time. I'm sure we would have time alone. Like that's some sort of benefit in this bizarre, illegal relationship. He goes on and repeats his fantasy about a threesome and involving Lindsay's mom. Then he says, I won't roll to you till I'm 100% convinced you're not a cop. That's okay, LOL, because I don't want to go to prison. I can't believe you think I'm a cop, says Lindsay. Well, no nude pics, no Addy or phone. Have to take all that into consideration, he says. Don't have to put them online, just have them to send to me so I can see it, only me. Then she says, I would give up my Addy to no one till I knew they were serious about coming nowadays. I'm very serious, he says. I want to take some pictures, he says. A cop wouldn't be trying to fuck you, sweetie. I don't know anyone down there. And then Todd Spikes makes an admission that shocks everyone. He says that up until recently, he was a police officer. He had left the law enforcement business to get into a family business. And that's why he says he knows so much about the law and is being so careful about getting caught. So we know as the three-day investigation proceeds that this Todd Spikes, a former law enforcement officer, a guy who could be familiar with weapons, who lives five hours away, 350 miles in northern Florida at the Alabama border, could show up at any time. But he's being cagey and we get to Saturday night and we start thinking, this guy's not going to come over. And we're debating as to how long we stay at the Sting House. And, you know, it takes a minute to shut everything down, turn off all the cameras and the power and microphones. And I make the decision, okay, we're going to call it. And everybody wraps for the night. And we decide, well, if something happens, you know, we can get back. But we're a little, a little farther from the Sting House than we usually are in terms of where we're staying. We're staying at a very nice resort hotel condominium and it had a nice restaurant and a place to grab a beer after the work was over for the day and and we went back and we're in this cool restaurant there's a golf course nearby and and we try to keep a low profile for all the obvious reasons but somebody recognized me in kind of a wink and a nod situation and you know kind of kept us in a dark corner so other people wouldn't figure out we were there and what we were doing and and we got to be pals with some of the people at the restaurant bar in the resort And all of a sudden, just as we started to relax, and as you can imagine, these tense investigations leave you pretty wound up and it takes a while to unwind, pagers start going off, cell phones start going off. And we hear from one of the decoys that Todd Spikes has called from a payphone and is nearby the Stinghouse and is ready to visit 13-year-old Lindsay. So now we're scrambling. I don't want to take all the time to get everybody back together, turn on the house. You know, people have gone to bed. People are in their rooms, hanging out, eating. 
And we decide collectively that the best way to deal with this is get some crews over that way to the Flagler Beach Police Department and then do the best we can, giving priority to law enforcement and making an arrest of somebody who is potentially a violent sexual predator. So that's what we do. And it's very fast moving. And the police get there first and they see Todd Spikes drive by in his SUV. And he starts to stop at the house and he keeps going. So they don't want to get into a chase. There's some thought that because he was a law enforcement officer that he could be carrying a gun. And they make a traffic stop. They pull him over. He complies. He identifies himself as a law enforcement officer in Alabama, just over the border. In fact, he's got a badge, a police officer's badge. And wait until you hear this. In his pocket, the front pants pocket of his jeans, he's got a 38 caliber snub-nosed revolver loaded and cocked. One little pull, one little squeeze of the trigger, and he could have fired a shot. He told the cops that he had that in his pocket. So they arrest him. They take him to the police department. Now, we're monitoring all this in various stages of trying to get there. Now we back off because, okay, they made the arrest, and we'll figure out the best way to tell the story. I mean, honestly, I don't know if we were better off in hindsight having it go down this way as opposed to having him walk into the house with the gun. Now listen to this, and this is the part that is really frightening. More about this predator I've caught in a moment. They search his SUV, and it is mind-boggling to learn what is in the car. Not only does Spikes have the 38 caliber revolver that's in his pocket. Inside the SUV, there is an assault rifle loaded with a clip, a clip that contains 30 bullets, and there's another clip that contains an additional 30 bullets. This is on the seat in the front seat of the car that he could have reached and used as a very deadly weapon, an assault rifle. He had a Glock 40 caliber a 45 caliber gun and a shotgun, 800 rounds of ammunition, 800 rounds of ammunition. He had three cell phones, two bulletproof vests, video and digital cameras, pornographic DVDs. And listen to this, some of the ammo he had were cop killer bullets. So in other words, these bullets were hollow point bullets. And the reason they're designed that way is so they can penetrate a bulletproof vest, a Kevlar vest, like the one I was wearing during the investigation, like the one that the police were wearing during the traffic stop and ultimate arrest. So now you got to think, and I haven't thought about this for a while, what would have happened if Todd Spikes walked into that modest home across from the beach in Flagler Beach. And what if he walks in and sees me, right? And he doesn't have the big guns with him that are in the car. Let's say for the sake of discussion, he just walks in with a 38 in his pocket. And looking back, 
I'm thinking we probably would have let him do it unless there was something in the transcripts that indicated he was violent or he would shoot his way out of any trouble or that he was threatening the girl. I mean, we would have been on a, a high state of alert, as would the police department, as would Ronnie Knight, my security guy. Would he have pulled the gun on me? Would he have shot? How long would Ron Knight have waited before he pulled his Glock and shot? I don't think Ron Knight would have let me in any way be harmed. He's too good of a security man. He spent 20 plus years in NYPD, retired as a lieutenant, did celebrity protection for NBC for years, Saturday Night Live, my stuff, many other celebrities. He's quick, smart. He knows how to talk his way through a situation. One of the many things, Ronnie became a very close friend and is to this very day. One of my very favorite humans to walk the planet. But one of the main things I liked about him most in those very tense situations is he wasn't a hothead. He wasn't the kind of guy who would shoot first and ask questions later. He was the guy who could diffuse a situation. And we made a great team because both of us were intense when we had to be, but somewhat laconic when we needed to be. You could diffuse a situation. And I had done it during the investigations and I'd watched him do it in the Predator investigations and others, quite honestly. Others that got more tense. So what if he does pull the gun? What happens then? Say Ronnie draws next. It's a standoff. The worst case scenario, shots are fired. The best case scenario, he threatens something and backs out the door without firing his 38 revolver. Then you've got the police who need to arrest him. I'm hoping, and I've replayed this potential scenario many times in my mind, that he would have seen that the police were there and wasn't going to shoot his way out or try to. Because he was pretty cooperative, honestly, when, when the police pulled him over. But he did have all those weapons, a virtual arsenal, 800 rounds, including cop killer bullets, in his SUV. So what happens if somehow he escapes the perimeter of the police and he gets into that car? Now he's got all these weapons, an assault rifle, a shotgun, cop killer bullets. It could have been a disaster. But it wasn't. Instead, what we had was a guy who didn't really say much. I mean, I didn't get a chance ever to talk to him, but he... He was interrogated by police, and we're going to let you listen to some of that. He didn't say much. He basically gave his name, his age, and uh, he talked about the department where he was a police officer. And your occupation? Police officer. You work for a city? Yes. And that's a Florella police department? Right. He complained, if you can believe this, that his handcuffs were too tight. So the arresting officers loosen them a little bit. We can just let him Is this kind of hung on my wrist bone? Is that better? Yeah, it's a lot better. Because it was kind of bound up a while ago. With the stern warning from the female detective, who was very sharp and very committed in this investigation. Todd, the only thing I ask of you when you're in here is just not to make any sudden moves, you know, that right. And he didn't. But he seemed just put out by it. Like, this was just a nuisance, some sort of administrative matter he had to deal with as a police officer. Married, single? Divorced. You're divorced? Mm -hmm. Can I ask a question? Sure. What does that have anything to do with anything? 
What it has to do with it is that I'm trying to ascertain if you have any children or no. if you have no. any access to no. children. No, I don't. No. And what about everything else in the car? The chainsaw. There was a boat anchor, tarps, rope. Had he plans to kidnap this girl who he thought was 13, take her back up to his home in northern Florida near the Alabama border, hold her hostage, make her a sex slave, kill her, bury the body? He had all the gear to do it. I mean, a chainsaw. He had a home where he could have kept all this stuff. Why did he have it in his SUV? So he's charged. Spikes is charged. And he spends some time before he can bail out. But he does get out. And the case is delayed, 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 delayed. But in the course of that, we find out a lot of interesting information about Todd Spikes. At the time of his arrest, Spikes was a police officer for the Florella PD in Alabama. The chief fired him just a few days later. Chief saying later that Spikes had worked for him for a bit and then took some time off, went into his family business, and then came back and worked for him again. Before Florala, he worked at the Sampson, Alabama PD, the Geneva, Alabama PD, the Defuniac Springs PD, and the Walton County Sheriff's Department as a deputy. Now, throughout all these years, as a police officer, a sheriff's deputy, you gotta wonder what potential harm he inflicted on others. I mean, here's a guy who was willing to drive 350 miles or so, five hours, after a horribly graphic and criminal conversation with someone he thought was a 13-year-old girl. What was he doing on night patrol as a cop? We were never actually able to find any other crimes committed during his history as a police officer. But it makes you wonder... I mean, usually these guys just don't wake up one day and, I mean, there's a first time for everything, I know, but the kind of conversation he had, the specificity of what he wanted to do, I'm pretty sure this wasn't his first rodeo. So he finally bonds out. He goes through a series of lawyers. The case gets transferred to Walton County in northern Florida. He's obviously a bad guy. He deserves to go to prison. I don't think anybody would dispute that, but he is able to delay, 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 delay for so long that ultimately he enters a plea and he gets time served, doesn't have to go back to jail, and he has to be on probation for 10 years and register as a sex offender. So obviously he can't be a cop anymore. And we're told he went back to work for the family business, which is a wholesale store, like a mini Walmart of some sort in northern Florida. He was charged with lewd and lascivious behavior with a child, crimes committed on a computer, and exhibition, which is basically when he masturbated in front of someone he thought was a 13-year-old girl. So he's on probation. And in about 2012, he gets into trouble again. Now, he was warned in the first case that he wasn't to be alone at any time for any reason with anyone who was younger than 18 years old. But he was caught with four underage people 
and the suspicion was that he was with them drinking and attempting to have sex with them or some of them at least so he's back in court and of course this is a probation violation and in the course of being arrested and going through the legal system during this he is being transported by sheriff's deputies and he gets into a fight with another inmate who called his father a name not sure exactly what happened but according to the court records it appears that it took place in a county jail transport van so anyway Spikes hits him a couple times. Now he's got that as an additional case, and he gets sentenced to 36 months in prison. Three years, basically. So he does his time, and now he's out. And since he serviced in our investigation, clean cut, but with a mustache, graying hair, 41, 15 years has gone by, couple different pictures of him, one with a goatee, one looking like a Florida swamp guy with uh, long gray hair and a full beard. And as far as we can tell, he has not been rearrested for anything. He continues to work for the family business. He continues to be a registered sex offender. And by many people's opinions, continues to be a danger. But at least he's got to register now. At least law enforcement knows where he is and hopefully he will stay out of trouble because he's not that old really when you think about it i mean 15 years he's 56 thereabouts and we've caught predators well into their 70s the police did execute a search warrant at spike's home they found computers They found plastic containers filled with videotapes, some of them pornographic. They didn't find anything all that incriminating on those computers, though. Nothing that was actually added to the case. But get this. Within a year of Spikes being busted, this graphic month-long conversation, having all these weapons, and while he didn't violate the law by having the weapons, you know, it certainly didn't seem like a, <laughs> a good thing for society at the time. Spike's lawyer tries to subpoena me as a witness in the case. Now, how do you think that's going to work out besides sensationalizing the fact that Chris Hansen would have to go to court and testify or have a deposition taken? Ultimately, the lawyers in the case handled that, so I didn't have to do it. There wasn't really anything I could add. I didn't have really any contact with him except, you know, what the crew saw. We did find out later that he made buddies in the lockup at Flagler with one of the other predators caught, swapped some cigarettes and got a ride from him. But pretty much that was it. They moved to forfeit his car and he was able to get some of the contents back. He was worried, though, about a Rolex watch that belonged to his dad. He wanted to make sure he got that back. One of the things that's always bothered me about the aftermath of these investigations is that there is a great disparity in sentencing and punishment. And if we talk about how we solve the predator problem in this country, in the world, there are three ways to do it. There's punishment, deterrence, there's education and awareness, 
and there's demand reduction. Well, demand reduction, and I've talked about this many, many times, doesn't really work that well in this case because we don't have enough resources to treat people. We do have the resources to lock them up. But think about this for a minute. You've got the rabbi David Kay, who was a bad guy, clearly violated the law, but he didn't have a car full of guns. His chat was graphic, but it didn't rise to the level of Todd Spikes. He got six and a half years in prison, and he's been in and out several times since then because he's violated his probation. But here's Todd Spikes, who arguably is a menace to not only children, but to society, who, as a former law enforcement officer, knows how to get away with crimes, arguably. And he gets 10 years probation. I mean, ultimately, he had to go to prison, and that's good. But boy, in that case, it just didn't seem like justice was served. And now he's back out. And while he's registered as a sex offender... And he's got a report to a probation officer. You know, he's free. One can only hope and pray that he doesn't defend again. You know, it's interesting. There's a Reddit group now that has people weighing in on predators I've caught who they know either figured it out before or after the investigations were put on television and the Internet. If you want to reach me about this podcast, ideas, comments, or if you know anything about one of the predators I've caught, you can reach me at chris at predatorpodcast.com. I'm Chris Hansen, and this is Predators I've Caught. <laughs>